Welcome to Uncommons. I'm Nate Erskine-Smith, and on this episode, I'm joined by Yasser Nakfi, a friend, a former opponent in the Ontario Liberal leadership race, and a continued federal colleague. Yasser is a lawyer. He served in a number of provincial ministerial positions, including as Attorney General, and we ran neck and neck for the better part of the leadership race. As you'll see from our conversation, we became friends over the course of that race. It's a wide-ranging conversation, reflecting on our shared and sometimes different experiences in the leadership race, and touching on what he plans to do next. I've said before that trust is everything in our democracy, and Yasser is certainly someone who I have come to trust. Yasser, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Nate. It's great to talk to you again. It's been a while. (laughs) It's funny you say that, because... I'm in Yasser withdrawal in some ways because I I feel like we were seeing one another certainly on a weekly basis, sometimes more than actually more than once a week by the end, quite often. And then it was as of December 2nd, we saw each other the last time and then that was it. Cold turkey. And so it is nice to connect again. I'm obviously looking forward to being back in Ottawa with you. No, same here. I mean, it, it was great, right? I mean, the campaign was interesting, the leadership campaign where we will be following each other's paths, I'm sure, for uh, on on Twitter and and stuff. But then, as as the race got heated, lots of common events where we talk to each other and we see each other and we speak after one after each other. Um, then I think later on we were texting on a regular basis. And then you're yeah. right, that I haven't seen you since December second, except for occasional texts uh, here and there. Yeah, exactly. And. It, it did feel near the end. Obviously, I you know I'm going to ask you about how you thought the the deal went at, at some point, um, but there was so much in common over the course of the campaign that we started out as opponents. But you know, and it's obviously a, a friendly sense of opposition when you're in the same party to a large degree, at least. But still opponents, and I think coming from it from very different perspectives in terms of our experience in the party, and you were a cabinet minister, I've sort of been seen to be a, a troublemaker in caucus at times. But I unfairly, I think sometimes fairly in other times, but 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 that that's the perception for what for whatever it is, and. And yet, by the end of the race, I, I'll say this on my end, I, you know, I, you certainly weren't an opponent. And it, had you won, I would have been right there on day one to say, you know, let's do this together as much as reasonably possible. I, I, the lesson for me in that, Nate, was, is trust, right? And, and trust exactly. is such an important quality, human value that, that applies in everything we do, whether in our family circumstances or work relationships and even more importantly in politics. And um, I know, again, people think that you and I, because we serve at the federal level, we know each other quite well. That was not the case. Um, I just recently got elected federally in 2021. You've been there since 2015. So we never really had that much opportunity to engage. In the pandemic. In the pandemic. It was like you were elected in 2021, but then that was pandemic parliament. So yeah. in the race, when we were sort of accused of, oh, we spent a lot of time on the federal liberal backbenchers together, I guess it makes sense to support each other. It's like, actually, no, we got to know each other in this campaign. And that that's exactly it. We got to know each other uh, in the campaign. And I think all our engagements were genuine. Um, and I I can speak for myself. Every time I engage with you, more I read about your policy ideas, how you articulated them, more and more I realized that we have more in common than not. And we may be um, reaching that from a different different perspective, uh, but we're saying the same thing. I got to tell you where I 
and, and in politics, I think it's important where I, uh, you earn a lot of my respect is the hustle. Uh, is the amount of hard work you put into organizing uh, from somebody who was not really involved in provincial politics as, as much. To me, that was quite remarkable. And I, I love people with hustle because in politics is, is that that's really important. But um, it was really interesting how we developed trust that resulted in our understanding and arrangement, which, uh, you know, people can debate whether was uh, was the right thing to, or not. But uh, I, it was for me, it was an interesting journey. And I'm quite reflective of that. It's funny, uh, on the floor on December 2nd, uh, you know, cameras in your face, and I think it was someone from the star, I don't know, said, well, what do you think about the deal now? Do you think it turned people off? And I pointed up to the results, and I said, pretty smart in retrospect, didn't you think? <laughs> like, that's why it, it was as close as it was. And if anything, it was a, if it was a delegated convention, then one of us win. Yeah, just talk about the deal very quickly. What we did was nothing unusual. Right. I mean, in a oh, delegated exactly. convention, it happens all the time. The only big difference this time around was that there is no delegated convention. So any understanding had to be made up front. In fact, what you and I did was more transparent um, because the manner in which we outlined it and we stood in front of media and talked about it. Not to mention in the past, actually, things like that have happened. If you go back to 2006 between Gerard Kennedy and Stefan Dion, they had an arrangement saying whoever uh, comes ahead of the other, the other will fold and go uh, in, in that direction. The result was Stefan Dion actually became the leader of Liberal Party of Canada back then. So all those political um, enthusiasts who are listening to this podcast and thinking about running in a future leadership campaign or helping somebody out, this I think what you and I engaged in was a, a very legitimate tactic. Um, for me, what was important, and I think for you as well, Nate, is that the foundation of it was based on trust, based on mutual sharing of ideas. You and I agreed on three things that were important to us in terms of the kind of liberal party we wanted to build in Ontario, um, um, issues around climate change, and how do we restore integrity in Ontario politics, which is so seriously lacking at this moment. And those that foundation brought us together in terms of that uh, arrangement. So it was just not pure tactics on our part. No, of course not. And it's funny you say that hustle on my end earned that trust and respect. From the flip side, I, I knew you to be a hardworking organizer. I think someone at the Globe Mail, Radwanski, had called you one of the hardest working M MPPs. And I, I knew that reputation. I didn't know that you would have read your brief in the same way. I didn't know that you were going to be able to off the cuff answer questions in a thoughtful and detailed way. That's that's the politics that earns my trust and respect on the flip side. And, you know, I, I've said before, but we were at, you know, we traveled the road and at the liberal ladies luncheon in, in Niagara. I mean, being able to just hear your answers, not the 30 second clip that gets played in a debate where you're under time constraints, but a long, fulsome answer that would be clipped on social media in another context if you're a leader, you gotta be able to stand your ground and deliver a really thoughtful, serious answer. And and you were able to do that in spades. So yeah, I think the, the trust was, was a big piece of it. And I, I certainly laughed, you know, politics is such a funny thing, but to be out at a press conference and to be talking about some backroom deal when you're out there answering public questions. I mean, it's such a nonsensical business sometimes. Uh, but to your point about people running, I mean, I, I don't know if I would ever run in a leadership again. And and I don't know that people start from that, you know, that beginning to say, oh, I've got to think about a potential leadership. 
But I will say in a nomination, ranked ballots are the standard and cooperation through those ranked ballots is the standard. In my nomination almost 10 years, 10 years ago now, 10 years ago now, my nomination, we cooperated. There were three of us in the race for over a year. And yeah, it was me first, Jeff Ryback second, Tom McGee third. And that's how we articulated our ballot to to my supporters. And the other teams articulated cooperation in a similar fashion. So, I mean, nothing new under the sun here. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and again, um, we no system is perfect in, in, in the manner in which we nominate candidates or elect leadership candidate uh, leaders but each of them bring their own uh, uh, different style of strategy. And this was one. Yeah, exactly. Now let's talk about, instead of looking uh, back exactly, uh, let's think about moving forward. You mentioned integrity. I think integrity was central to the way you articulate your politics. It was central to how I articulated my politics. Crombie recently has said in the media, my goal is to win. We are going to present a very viable, competent, transparent, trustworthy government alternative to this one, government alternative to this one, a government with integrity that people can rely on. So she is now articulating a vision of integrity, which is, I think, important. How do you see the landscape? We've got nine seats at Queens Park. How do you see the landscape? You've lived at Queens Park in a way that I, I never have. There's no quick fix to what ails the provincial liberal party. The, the leadership obviously helped. How do you see the fortunes of the provincial party going forward? My my view hasn't changed uh, from what I was was articulating during the leadership campaign, which was two things that I think we need to really do as a as a party in Ontario. Number one is we have to go what I call it back to our uh, foundation, which is to be a pragmatic. Uh, party, a pragmatic liberal party, right? Which is, of course, enveloped in our progressive values uh, as a party, but come up with pragmatic solutions that will make people's lives easier to live. And and I really say this because I think people are going through a lot of challenges right now. You and I heard about issues around healthcare, around housing, around affordability, around education. What you need is pragmatic solutions to those problems so that people can relate to and say, yeah, this will actually will make my life better. I think that has been a strength for the Liberal Party, uh, both federally and provincially, and we need to go back to it. The second thing that we have to do, and I think that that's just going back to the point about hustle, is we need to rebuild this party. Uh, you saw, you, you started before anybody in this leadership, what state the party is. And when we say party, we're not just talking about the headquarter in downtown Toronto. We're talking about riding associations in every single part of the province. And you may recall, I used to keep talking about 124 ridings and now we need to rebuild that riding. I really hope that that Bonnie um, is spending the time doing that, that she really is keeping up with the travel schedule that we all developed during the leadership campaign in connecting with now, hundred or so thousand members that we have signed up to keep them involved and build that infrastructure. So that is the only way, in my view, we can create the real opportunity in the upcoming election to, to put a credible, serious alternative to Doug Ford's government, because they, they're going to carry the baggage of being in power for eight years by that time. And we need to be seen as as the fresh alternative. And of course, then the value come values come in, integrity, seriousness of ideas, pragmatic solutions to issues that people are facing. You mentioned the travel and the need to continue that travel. 
I mean, so much of it is just about building relationships and learning the lessons that people are trying to teach us all across the province. When you reflect on the many conversations, I mean, you're a hustler on the phone too. So it wasn't just in person. It was making phone calls. It was being on the ground in different communities and and then running all the way, sprinting all the way to December 2nd. Someone described it to me as a, a marathon that you sprint. I thought it was a very accurate way of putting it. What are your lessons learned? Oh, my gosh. I mean, look, um, uh, we have just gone through an incredible exercise. Ontario is no small place. Uh, just the sheer geography of this province and be able to cover that with its unique challenges alone was an eye-opening experience. And I'm somebody who spent most of my time in provincial politics. I have traveled this province and 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 helped try, try solve solutions. But it was a really an, an eye-opening experience for me in terms of the breadth and scope of, of our province. I went to places that I've never gone before and I found, I found it um, uh, very enlightening. The other thing that I learned, and I think I, I talked about it a few times during the campaign, is a realization that solutions, the problems are the same across the province, but the solution set is not going to be the same. Um, it has to be nimble. It has to be versatile because this province is different. What may work in Toronto, and you represent a more sort of urban Toronto riding, same here for me in Ottawa, which is the second largest city in the province, will not work in Thunder Bay, will not work in Sulukout. Um, it may work in Thunder Bay, it may not work in Sulukout um, or Chatham or um, Beamsville. We we have to have a lot more flexibility in policy uh, making to really ensure that all Ontarians, regardless of where they come uh, from and circumstances they're in, are able to to get the services. So I would say those are the two two really big lessons uh, from me. Um, the second one. Um, I did not realize when I was in provincial government, I think too many times we were quite satisfied with coming up with solutions, like listening to the stakeholders uh, from major urban centers and thinking, great, we can now just, it's a matter of money and we can stretch those. And I think it's more than that in able to help people regardless of where they live. It's interesting because I think Doug Ford is perceived outside of Toronto as someone who just wants to be the mayor of Toronto. And that could and should be used to the advantage of any rebuilding effort on behalf of the Liberals to reach into areas that we haven't had the same presence that we had 15, 20 years ago to rebuild in a really in a really fresh, renewed kind of way to say, we're going to go back to basics, as you, as you sort of describe, in terms of building the foundation of riding associations. But beyond that, we're going to articulate the needs of the province in a way that meets the needs of different communities. And it's funny you mentioned uh, Sulukut and Thunder Bay, because I distinctly remember being in Thunder Bay and someone saying, when I mentioned starting off in, in Sudbury, they're like, well, that's not really north though, is it? And I went, you know, people in Sulukut say the same thing about Thunder Bay. <laughs> Highlighting a really good issue around uh, Doug Ford being perceived as somebody more interested in being mayor of Toronto than the uh, premier of Ontario. And I think it's true. And I can tell you this coming from Ottawa, which I think, I think Doug Ford thinks that Ottawa is uh, sort of the Washington DC equivalent. Uh, that is just the responsibility of the federal government. And we have many examples. We have no, no, no cabinet minister or parliamentary assistant in, in Ontario cabinet. 
from Ottawa. We saw how Doug Ford treated the occupation by the convoy folks in, in Ottawa. And I can give you many examples. But I'm sure you will recall from your travels that that was the perception from other parts of the province as well. That they, they saw Queen's Park government and Doug Ford as someone who was more interested in issues that related to Toronto and greater Toronto area. And one of my big concerns, and this is, this is, a, this is a friendly suggestion to all the leaders in the next provincial election, um, that three out of four of them come from Toronto, from greater Toronto area. Right, uh, the Conservative Party leader Doug Ford, Ontario Liberal Party leader Bonnie Crombie, NDP leader Merritt Stiles—they all come from Toronto. And you know, Guelph is not that far, but Mike Chirana at least is outside from that area. They have to be really mindful that they do not find themselves only talking about issues that are important to Toronto. That there's more to this province than 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 the city of Toronto. As much as city of Toronto is really important for the well-being and prosperity of Ontario, and I don't want to take that away, but there are people who live in this province in every part, and we need solutions that will work for all of them. And the three leaders of the three major political parties would have to really push themselves hard to think outside their Toronto box and come up with ideas and solutions that will help all Ontarians. Yeah, because there are any number of issues that cut across geography from healthcare to education to housing, but the solutions, may require something more unique to that geography. When you speak about all leaders, and you, and you mentioned the four there, how do any of the alternatives to Doug Ford set themselves apart? I mean, this was my big pitch in the leadership, obviously not enough of a pitch for, for most, but to say that we need to be the progressive alternative. I, I saw it in 2015. We were the progressive alternative. It was touch and go for a while there. Is it going to be Trudeau? Is it going to be Mulcair? And we became the alternative to Harper and we won a majority. And I think the same is going to hold true if and when there is a change election with Doug Ford, assuming Doug Ford is still kicking around for that change election. At, at that given moment, there's going to be an anyone but conservative swing and anyone but Ford swing. And who is going to be able to seize upon that moment? Well, I think the one that sets themselves apart as the progressive standard bearer. Now, that may not be true, though. I mean, maybe there's a different path. How do you see the opportunity for the different leaders to set themselves apart as not just the, you know, the not Doug Ford party? Yeah, I, listen, I mean, I think I think you you were really consistent on making that point, and And I don't think you were wrong in making that 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 point that there is an element of winning a, a progressive primary. Right before you uh, take on the Doug Ford Conservative government in in the in the next election, and I would say overlaying that challenge is the other challenge we have that we're the centrist party, right? So we have to always, in order to be successful, the coalition that we build has to take some from the right, some from the left, and keep our center center supporters in place, which most of Ontarians are there. And my prescription to that, what I kept talking about in the leadership is what I mentioned earlier is pragmatic solution making. Um, in the end of the day, um, I think Ontarians are really middle of the road pragmatic folks and they want their government that helps make important decisions. Provincial government is really unique in its, in its space because of healthcare and education and, and housing kind of very much squarely fits within their scope of uh, of expertise as well or jurisdiction, that they actually 
they actually have the, the, the most levers or tools available to them to really improve people's lives. And I think the way you can set yourself apart is one, not have solutions for every problem in the world, and there are many, really focus on some of the key issues people are facing, healthcare and housing being the two top one, and come up with really pragmatic solutions for them and go hard and, and demonstrate your capability, your capacity. You used to talk about seriousness. I talked about being principled or in, integrity in, in that regards. I think that could be the combination. A really good example of that approach is the most recent Manitoba NDP election, Wap Canoe. Um, as much as you know, there's NDP in the name, if you look at his campaign, it was quite pragmatic. In, in, in nature and was really focused and disciplined when it comes come, came to healthcare issues. Focused enough that they actually were talking about in specific communities, how many doctors they're going to bring, how many, how they're going to open up a particular uh, emergency room in a, in a community that the previous progressive conservative government has closed. I think that's the kind of approach that people can sink their teeth into. And we as liberals can set ourselves apart and, and under trust and vote of, of the voters. So you mentioned a few things there when you talk about coalition building and thinking about who, what is the coalition that you need to build to win? Now, I think a big part of the federal liberal coalition has been, you know, you can talk about environmental groups, you can talk about any number of different groups that have come together under the umbrella to help us win. I would say there was real frustration in 2015 in the Muslim community with the Conservative Party, and they've been a big part of liberal politics. You see in this leadership race, I think almost a third of the members uh, you know, would identify as Muslim. And you look at the LGBT community, that's been a big part of, and rightly so, based on the policies we deliver and advancing this conversation rightly, pushing back against some of the conservative, conservative politics that we saw under, again, the, the Harper government, but pushing in it to advance equality in a really serious way. And whether it's the legacy of marriage equality or, or just making sure that we, we normalize equality for the LGBT community in, in all quarters. Now, you also talk about being focused on something like healthcare. Well, I struggled with this in some conversations. You're going from community to community. It's not only in the Muslim community, of course. This would come up in other more religious groups as well. But because of these, the the large number of Muslim voters in the leadership, this came up quite a lot. And I remember being at the counter-protest at Queen's Park. And I was mentioning this to you before we started recording, but I was at the counter-protest and you had, in the protest, you had these purple signs from the People's Party and, and people who are sort of, you know, convoy adjacent or probably attended the convoy, I don't know. And then you had Muslim families and and and, and mothers of, of Muslim families who were there because of, you know, whether it was misinformation or whether it was just a deeply devoutly held religious belief and concern. Different people that we have to connect with on different issues. Hard to stay focused on healthcare when in every organizing meeting you'd get asked about Trudeau's sex ed curriculum, which is bizarre because it's not Trudeau's. Um, how did you manage those conversations? I mean, I, I have a, uh, you know, a mentor of mine in law, Angela Swan, used to be John Swan. She's been on my podcast before. I would talk about Angela and, 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 and make it real for people that I need to look out for Angela's rights, as, as I think we all want to look out for Angela's rights. I want to make sure Angela can be who she is, and I want to make sure that you can be who you are, and we've got to find a way to live together. Uh, it's not always the easiest thing in some of these meetings, though. How, how did you manage the politics of that? 
Well, listen, and I thank you for raising this because this was this was you absolutely right. And at any organizing meeting you would go, especially in large urban centers, this was a big issue. I had a, a, a one could argue an added layer of challenges because I belong to the Muslim faith, and so there was an expectation on part of members of the community that I will agree with everything they're saying. And I've heard some really disturbing, at times, um, discriminatory uh, stuff. And 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 as you know, in politics, you have to. Keep your calm, let people speak, and then be able to speak um, uh, with them. There was two things that I always relied on. One was <laughs> a little bit of a law school 101 constitutional law division of power issues that if people are unhappy as to what's happening in the education sector, that's nothing to do with Trudeau. This is a provincial decision making, and, and they should be speaking with both with Ford and Lecce in terms of the concerns. But my bigger response was around human rights. I brought people and grounded them into human rights. And I reminded them that if we were meeting in a, in a, pl a place of worship, that the that place of worship exists and their right to pray openly is because the Charter of Rights and Freedoms um, uh, protected their rights. And they will all agree vehemently that, that as, as Canadians, that's their right. And I would then also make the point that everybody else, every other minority is also protected by the same laws. And we have a social contract in this society that we, we protect everyone. We don't pick and choose. Um, now, yes, you should be free to live your life as long as you're not harming anybody else and nobody's harming you. And so that element, I think, is, is really important. Look, I think um, as liberals, as progressives, uh, this is a, a a big issue for us, and we need to really be mindful of that and don't think and expect that this will go away. Um, we need to engage in proactive conversation, and they are very uncomfortable conversations. And you've been in it, and I've been in it. Uh, there were some times I felt myself in really uncomfortable situation in terms yeah. of the uh, the amount of heat in that in those conversations. Um, but I think there's no substitute to engaging people uh, because I found once we spoke to them and we were able to articulate a position based on rights of everyone and protecting their rights, uh, people really came around seeing it. And um, um, politicians need to do more of those. I am concerned about that there are politicians, mostly conservatives, who are quite actively uh, provoking people and, 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 and exploiting this issue uh, by making it something about, you know, family values versus non-family values, those type of things. Um, and that that basically in a core language telling people that somehow other, some LGBT community rights are less than their rights or vice versa. And we, we need to push back against that, those type of temptations. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen this iteration of the Conservative Party under Pierre Poiliev, certainly, uh, weaponize this against Trudeau. Uh, you've seen Doug Ford stand up at Ford Fest when he was getting shelled for the Greenbelt scandal in all other quarters. And he started to weaponize this issue as well around parents' rights. And it can be challenging conversations in, in a sense that y you do want to accommodate people's faith and you do want to accommodate something as fundamental as faith. Uh, my mother and my stepmother-in-law and my father-in-law are, are born again Baptists. Do I agree with them on all issues? Absolutely not when it comes to some of these social issues and and their views would be more faith-based as far as it goes. 
does it mean that I, I don't love them deeply and, 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 and want to spend time with them? Of course not. We're family and we love each other. And so I do think we have to find a way to remember that we're a pluralistic society and we're not going to agree on everything. There are deep disagreements, especially around faith. And when you look at the school system where this can play out, uh, you have, you know, there's jurisprudence in some cases where you, families challenge the teaching of a book. I think it was in grade one where there was same sex parents. Guess what? Challenge failed. You can teach that book and that book should be part of the curriculum. You've got other situations, though, where should people be able to opt out of the pride parade around the school track? Yeah, they probably should be able to opt out as a matter of faith and there shouldn't be that mandated participation. I think that's that's the way we get along. My kid's going to participate every single time, but that's how we get along. And I think we we've forgotten sometimes and the urge to be right or the urge to win the debate. We've forgotten what it actually means to win, which is to bring people along with us, not to wag our finger at them. I think there's there's two I think there's two issues here that are really um, um, going to become quite pronounced. One is rights versus inclusion, right? My yeah. rights versus our rights. But yes, we should protect all rights. And but how do you also at the same time build an inclusive society? And the issues that people were having challenges with in school system are was not around rights, were more around whether they want to have an inclusive classroom or not, right? An inclusive school environment or not. So I think we need to find a better way of articulating that. And I'm not suggesting I have all the answers right now, but I think that's where the challenge is. The, 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 the second part that I am really concerned about is, is, is when leaders, as you pointed out, and conservative leaders in particular are weaponizing education for their own political gain. The result of that is that you are seeing increasingly uh, people's, a loss in faith in our public education system. And and I, I think not only they're weaponizing it for political gains, but they're also weakening our public education system. And I think they're, they're intending to do both um, at the same time, which is really troubling for me. I know I'm listening to you during the leadership debate and you talked to me, uh, talk, heard me talk about um, public education system, that there is no better alternative than a publicly funded education system. And we have to fight tooth and nail to maintain public's confidence in order to have a viable public education system. And I'm really increasingly concerned in Ontario at, at the least that that confidence is waning, which means that people will send their kids to private school, whether they're religious schools or non-religious private schools. And that is not good for the well-being of an inclusive society we're trying to build. And that's, I really do hope that our Ontario Liberal Party in the next election takes on that issue head on and, and, bring forward ideas and policies that will help restore uh, Ontarians' confidence in our public education system. Yeah, I think I, I completely agree. And that, that core idea, it's, it's easy to articulate the core idea is harder with some of the examples, but the core idea being everyone should be free to be who they are in our public school system and, and to be safe as, to live who they are in our public school system, whether they are a member of the LGBT community or a member of, the, or of a faith community, including the Muslim community. Um, the another issue that really took over in a similar fashion, I, I joke that I was always asked about sex ed until Gaza, and then that dominated the conversation. And it's not a provincial issue. It's a federal issue. It's a it's it's an issue that really Canada, even on the world stage, doesn't have so much to solve. It, you know, it really is going to rest on on the desk of President Biden, ultimately, if this thing's going to be solved, I think. But 
this is an area where you know you and I signed a ceasefire letter quite early on, took some flat for it and some quarters for it. Actually, I, I'd be interested in your experience on that front. Uh, you've recently spearheaded an, an effort across Germany, United States, and Canada. Dozens of signatories again. A renewed call for a ceasefire. A renewed call for leadership from Canada, Germany, and the United States to put an end to the war. How did you see this play out in your community, and and how do you see the role that you and I should continue to play? We're both federal politicians. What more can we do going forward? Yeah, I mean, look. So you're absolutely right. I mean, that issue really did take over the latter part, uh, the final part of the campaign because it was so so pronounced. I think the fact that uh, one third of the membership, as you mentioned, uh, come from the Muslim faith, they had a they had some serious concerns. Continue to have serious concerns. Uh, which they raised um, uh, during the leadership. And they were asking questions of all candidates, and I guess you and I in particular, because we serve at, at, at the federal level. Like all issues, I, I try to look at issues. And and for, for me, what I try to do is what are my core values? Because I think if you make decisions and your, pol- your positioning based on your core values is easy to justify, easy to rely on, then something not. And for me, the core value here is protecting civilian human lives, right? Whether they're Israeli uh, citizens or they're Palestinian citizens. And the reason I was able to sign that ceasefire letter so early, earlier on um, is because it asked for both. It asked for a release of hostages and the harm that was done by Hamas, uh, which was abhorrent, and the harm that is being suffered by the Palestinians right now, where they're dying in thousands because uh, because of war against uh, against Hamas. Both of those positions are predicated on making sure that human human lives are protected. And the new element for me, which I've always believed in, which I'm sure you do, which is a two state solution. Let's come up with a path to peace, a sustainable path to peace that will allow for both groups of people to live. Uh, peacefully. And I think that's where moving forward, our advocacy should be. The letter that you just mentioned that was signed by German legislators, um, US um, uh, legislators and, and Canadians um, was is really much premised on that is to say that we, we need uh, immediate release of hostages. We need to make sure that there is a, a ceasefire um, in, in the war so that we can protect human lives, get humanitarian aid in, into Gaza. But most importantly, we need a, a process that will result in the realization of a, a two-state solution. I think given that what we know publicly, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's position is on that, that he doesn't believe in a two-state solution, that international sort of coalition that we were able to put together through that letter, hopefully which will grow, um, gives gives more credibility that that what we need is a, is a, a, a a peace process and path forward. I think you and I um, and people like us needs to really um, advocate for a more um, sincere, broader, um, thoughtful um, and credible role for Canada in in developing that coalition, that alliance around the world that would create an actual um, path to peace. Uh, that could result into a state solution. I'm not naive to say that that will happen tomorrow, but I think Canada has credibility in the world uh, to build that coalition, that alliance like we did among legislators to start talking about what that what that path looks like. And that's where I would like to spend my time advocating on that particular issue. There's a old Bob Dylan song, Glowing in the Wind. I don't know if 
how familiar you are with it, but one of the lines is, uh, how many deaths will it take till he knows that too many people have died? And we are well, well, well past that number. And any person who has followed the situation and this conflict and the, you know, it's, 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 it's horribly tragic when you think about the, the origin stories here, these two, these two truths, really, these two truths that you have a people that have been persecuted that have lived through genocide and this is a country that is established in order to guarantee their security and they face attacks and discrimination and 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 the second truth is a peoples who have been displaced and palestinian people who have lost their homeland and a palestinian people who are subjugated to an occupation and and have been subjected to incredible persecution themselves and it's it's anyone who knows these two truths could see what was coming and that too many people were going to die. And so, you know, people say, do you, you know, I had friends texting me not so long ago, are you still on team ceasefire? It's like, yeah. I mean, if anything, the evidence has only grown from where, when we initially signed it. So your spearheading of, of the secondary letter, great to see how many people signed it from Germany and the United States as well. But we need that continued pressure, I think, ultimately on the United States administration. I mean, where Canada can lend its voice, we're not in every room around the world stage, but the U.S. will often pick up our calls. We should be making those calls on a regular basis. Yeah, I I, I think you've, you've, you've hit all the right points, Nate. And one of the things that we also need to focus on is how do we bring our communities together here at home? Uh, exactly. We have... I think a, a very serious uh, fracture. Um, I'm sure you represent a very strong uh, Muslim community and a Jewish community like I do here, right here in, in Ottawa. And there has been, I think, a lot of othering of both the communities and they both feel like um, targeted. Um, and the amount of hate, increase in hate that we've seen towards both Jewish community and the, and the Muslim community is really, really challenging. And so this is where I think um, uh, uh, people like yourself and I and others can play a really important role in bringing people back together uh, and say, look, we have more in common than not. We, we, we don't have to agree on everything, right? I mean, that's the beautiful thing about Canadian inclusive society. We don't have to agree on anything, but there's some fundamental things that we agree on, which is, which is respect, which is rights, which is uh, no room for any kind of hate. And, and that's something I think we need to also spend some time in working towards because it is, causing a lot of hurt and harm to our people. This conversation alone, you and I are going to hear from different groups because um, they will feel that we've, we've caused, uh, uh, our words have been hurtful to them and, and my apologies in advance because these are complex and, and difficult issues and we need to find a way of bringing people together. Yeah, you know, I, I've been through some similar conversations. Uh, it, it's it should go without saying that you look at the horrendous violation of human rights and the and the terror attack from Hamas like that is condemnable and every letter condemned in a perfect world Hamas should surrender that's not the world in which we live and so how do you to go back to your core sort of you know the original point how do we best preserve civilian life and how do we best put this place on a, on a, on some path, some semblance of a path back towards peace. Um, and yeah, you're going to bother some people along the way <laughs> as, as you seek to do it. Um, to return to provincial politics, uh, 
best experience of the campaign? <laughs> uh, best experience of the campaign. Um, I, I, I'll i tell you this one experience because it's it's become a little bit of a thing in my family now. Um, I went to see, uh, I'll, I'll mention Shelly's name, Shelly Morris, uh, in, um, in rural northeast Ontario. Uh, this woman who has been ar around uh, used to work with David Ramsey when he was a liberal member of provincial parliament. So she can, I can seek her support and help. And she agreed to help me and, and, and support me. Amazing amazing individual but as we were leaving she had this incredible uh vegetable garden like massive we're not talking about something what you and i would have in our backyard we're talking about big right it's, it's, it's rural northeast ontario and she gave me zucchinis like these giant zucchinis uh to bring home and um i brought it home and i showed it to the kids and they were excited and we decided to make a zucchini pie sweet zucchini pie not something savory and now we we made it over Christmas dinner, and uh, we're calling it the nukini. Um, it was delicious, uh, napri <laughs> zucchini. So nukini, that's that's the trademark name for that zucchini pie. <laughs> I took a photo. I took a photo of that pie and I sent it to Shelly and uh, sent a text, and she wrote me a nice note back that how blessed she felt that her garden zucchini was part of our Christmas dinner. Uh, <laughs> this year so now that's a new tradition in our family every year that we're going nice. to be <laughs> very, very nice i um when i was 16 I, I i did an exchange uh to the south of france and i visited at some point during that stay i befriended someone at the school and went over to their place and they i was vegan and so the family there was like well we can't feed them cheese we can't feed them dairy can't feed them meat and I got a bowl, bowl of boiled zucchini with olive oil on it. I would not trademark that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yours sounds delicious. What uh, Worst experience of the campaign? Oh, I mean, you know, the easiest thing to say, not winning. Um, uh... <laughs> I mean, me too. <laughs> um you know what the, the challenging moment was? I was I was totally fine because you, you and I we're in politics, winning and losing is part of it. Um, um, seeing my son's reaction that uh, that evening, um, he took it really personally. I didn't realize how much children absorb this stuff. And my kids are a little older than yours, and so and the whole campaign was was um, was an ongoing conversation. And that really, uh, when I saw him crying, I cried, and and I told him as we were both crying that it's good that we're crying. Uh, it's, it's, this is what people do when they're not feeling well. And, uh, and we had a really good sort of conversation, multiple conversations after afterwards. And, you know, I think it was the first time I kind of realized that some action of mine caused pain to my son, to my child and made him cry, which was not a good feeling because as a parent, that's the last thing you want is any action of yours, uh, causing distress. And so I think that probably comes to mind as it's personal that was was not a pleasant moment experience for me although, although good to teach your kids how to how to live through and and learn from loss i and and to live gracefully through it i uh my i had a very different experience when uh my seven-year-old was sort of like nothing to him <laughs> but of course he's younger but i would say okay. i said this uh to someone else um i think when i was getting interviewed afterwards but my uh when I, my seven was like, so what happens if you win daddy? And I was like, well, if I win, I become the leader of the Ontario Liberal Party and maybe the leader of the whole province of Ontario at some point. And he was like, 
hmm. And if you lose, we can get a puppy. <laughs> and I was like, is he cheering for me? I don't think he's cheering for me. <laughs> Did you get a puppy yet? No, that's a, so this is the thing. My, uh, my wife, um, needs to be convinced more than I do. I'm like, yeah, great idea. But, uh, uh, but I could use your help working on my wife. <laughs> She's like, oh no, it's going to be way more work. And our seven-year-old says he's going to walk him, but he's not actually going to walk him. Uh, she's walk probably him. right. You know, she's probably right. Um, yeah. would you, do you, okay. So my last question is really around your future. I'm sure you, you've been asked this any number of times throughout the campaign. This dogged me during the campaign in some ways. Cause I was like, I'm not running necessarily. I might, I'm not sure. It depends. We'll see. And I'm not running federally again. I, I was clear enough in the campaign about that, but I not being clear about my provincial intentions was uh, some kind of horrible thing to, to uh, engage in. I don't know. But uh, you were a member of provincial parliament for Ottawa Centre. You are the federal member for Ottawa Centre. Uh, there's going to be a federal election before the next provincial election. You have some choices to make. Have you come to terms with with those choices, and have you figured out what what comes next? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's an ongoing, obviously, thought process and 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 conversation. My commitment is is obviously to my community, and and I've been out. I've started canvassing again. I can tell you, uh, the community has been very generous to me. They've congratulated me on running a strong campaign, uh, but they're also. Uh, the 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 large consensus I'm hearing from the community, they want me to continue as a member of parliament and they want me to continue uh, serving them and, and making it uh, making a difference. Um, you know, I am closer to home. Um, parliament Hill and, and and my home is in, in the same writing. It's all Ottawa Centre. So it makes it uh, much more, uh, much more easier for my family um, uh, as well. Um, so for me, it's always public service and I wanna be able to work on issues. I also do feel very strongly that we need a, we, we need a more progressive liberal uh, government in Ontario and I will help our Ontario Liberal Party given the amount of work you and I put in to help uh, re rebuild. Um, but I will, I will remain focused on serving my community through my position as member of parliament. Yeah, I think that's entirely fair, and 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 the right point to say. And I, I'm of the same view. Here to help. And I, I you know, I, we both had conversations uh, with Bonnie Crombie, and I think we both delivered the same message. Here to help. Let us know how you can help. Happy to play a role and and be as helpful as we can be, whatever that might look like. Uh, but from your perspective, when I afterwards I was thinking, you know, what would I do in your shoes? And I spoke to my staff earlier. It's kind of I think a no brainer. I mean, you've got young kids. You were a good dad taking them on the road with you and, and being spending as much time with them as you could. And, you know, I always thought that was a great thing. It's, it's a tough thing in this business to balance the role of being a, a good dad and, and, and a good representative for your community. It's something you were managing throughout the race. And you live very close to Parliament Hill and you're able to be a good dad and to represent your community. I mean, to me, whatever happens in the next federal election, we either hold on a close one or there's a renewal you should be a part of it. And, you know, that would make the most sense to me, but, uh, you know, the choice is yours. <laughs> so, yeah, no, um, I've, I've got some serious, obviously challenges in my community um, as, as many communities across the province as we coming out of the, the, the pandemic. Um, um, and I really do believe that our party is the right party to help through those, those challenges, whether they are locally um, or across the, the country. And, any role that I can play in, in doing so. But I I also feel very strongly that we need a strong partner in Ontario and the current government is not that partner. And that's why you and I offered our services to, to do the work necessary provincially.
yeah, there's a big difference to be made no matter what on, on both levels. Um, I'm not sure what the future holds on, on my end. I, as I say, I'm, I'm here to help. I'm going to help the next federal candidate here in Beaches East York. I'm going to help other candidates across the country. I'm, I'm definitely going to repay some favors and, and head to Sudbury and to London Center and to Oakville, North Burlington, and to campaign with friends. And I'm going to help out provincially and help rebuild the party as much as I can. It's just, you know, what does that look like? Probably not it probably isn't as candidate, certainly not in Beaches East York, because I've got Mary Margaret McMahon. So yeah, we all have these choices. But I think, yeah, you, you've got uh, an interesting choice to make. But I mean, federal politics makes a lot of sense, given where given where family is. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, I'd say until I'd say until next time, but I'm going to see you in a few days. <laughs> yeah, well, I want to say one thing. And when you're, you're a, a tremendous talent, uh, both politically, but also intellectually, um, and you're very young. Uh, uh, people don't realize I've, I've got I've got good good over a decade uh, over you. Um, so you may not run right now, but there may be opportunities for you to do it again and continue to serve uh, because I think you have made an impact. And don't ever underestimate or under let anybody undermine the impact that you've made on our country. I appreciate the answer. I mostly invited you on so you could say nice things about me, and so mission accomplished. <laughs> 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 and uh you know, honestly, I, 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 forward... <laughs> I said uh i said in my community that i i'm still kicking around for another 18 to 21 months to cause good trouble so i look forward to causing that trouble with you and i'll i'll see you at national caucus great thanks a lot my friend Thanks for joining me on this episode. If you like the Uncommons podcast, please do stop what you're doing right now and leave a review as it helps us reach a bigger audience, preferably a five-star review. If you have suggestions for future guests or topics, reach out at info at beynate.ca. Now, the one area that I do wish we'd been able to touch on, but the timing didn't work out, was the Emergencies Act. In between recording this earlier in the week and now posting it, a federal court judge has determined that the government's invocation of the Emergencies Act did not meet the high threshold required and that specific measures were overbroad and therefore not charter compliant. Given Yasser represents an Ottawa riding, his past role as AG, and the fact that we have different legal views of the matter, it would have been interesting ground for sure. Just another reason to have Yasser back. In addition to the podcast this year, I should mention, I am also going to try to write more. You can check out both at uncommons.ca. And otherwise, until next time.